all our lives, we've been told to go to school, get good grades, get a good job, and you'll be set. How's that working out for you? I'm Tavana Denise, physical therapist turned life and business coach, and I'm on a mission to help you create a life you love and a business on your terms. If you want more time, more freedom, more flexibility, I can help you create it. Welcome to Breaking Protocol, the show for women in healthcare who want more. This is so exciting. Hello, hello, and welcome, Dr. Emily Shaw, MD. I'm excited to have you on, and your little owl sweater is so adorable. <laughs> so if you if you're listening to this on a podcast perhaps she has the most adorable little owl sweater so you're gonna have to go to my youtube channel and be able to see it but for today i'm excited because we're talking about something that i think is very important for those of us who are coaches working in healthcare, and we want to help like that's what we are by nature and so one of those ways is getting a coaching program approved within your healthcare organization. And so Emily and I met through a mutual friend and we were all geeking out about like, what do we need to do to help these healthcare organizations see the benefit of coaching, pay for coaching, pay us for coaching? Like, what do we need to do? And I think it's super important because a lot of us go into healthcare because we want to help. And then after a while, we decide possibly that we want to help in other ways. And one of those ways might be coaching. And so I would love for you, Dr. Emily Shaw, to tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, how you got into coaching, and then we'll dive into the goodies about what our colleagues can do to get coaching approved in their organizations. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a family doc. Um, I live in Sonoma County in Santa Rosa in California. Uh, Northern California, and I first learned about coaching in 2008 when I was between my third and fourth years of medical school. I took like a gap year, and I was working in public health doing substance abuse work at the Boston University School of Public Health, and I was teaching motivational interviewing, mm. and that's when I learned uh, basically how the words that we use, the, the words that we choose to use with our patients or with people they determine the outcome that we get with our, with our patients, like how we say what we say, you know, like two people can have totally the same intention and deliver the message differently mm -hmm. and have the patient or the client or whoever receive that completely differently. And so, and that, and that's when I realized that I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't really thought about that before. And and so, and I got exposed to reading some papers about coaching and like at that time there wasn't that much um, data. And then the next year as a fourth year med student, I, I saw not all of them, but like the vast majority of my, my friends and the people in my class seemed like they were really struggling and really suffering and with burnout. And I didn't know that that was burnout at the time. Um, so then I decided in my own head, like, oh, we can't do anything about this until we study it. And so I actually, during my fourth year of med school, did a study on med student burnout in my own school. Yeah, it was a project and I got like a fellowship. Anyway, so I, I studied medical student burnout as a medical student. And, um, and of course, like not surprisingly found out 
I forget if it was like 47 or 50% of my friends were burnt out. And so that was basically what has stayed with me this whole time. You know, then residency happened and then like life happens, you like, you have kids and life kind of just, blah. So I've had this in my head, like this whole time, like I, I want to be a coach. I want to help people navigate sort of like the ups and downs of their lives. And I thought it was, you know, the answer was to be a family doctor, which, which it has been um, because that does that but um but i've been wanting to be a coach this whole time and have had this like my own sort of passion about burnout for a long time and i burnt out myself like two years out of residency in my first job like really hard and since you know finding my like relighting my own flame and and like working really intentionally to grow myself this over the past several years has sort of like had me thinking over and over again, all right, what is it that like I want to do? And I've known that it's been coaching this whole time. So recently I finally found the time and made the time and, you know, I did it. I did it. Really, I think you said the most important thing is you you made the time, right? Because it's really the time over the the money or anything else when you decide that you really want to do something, you're going to go after it. I think your story is so much like my own and many others that I've seen that go into coaching from healthcare. It's like, okay, we wanted to get in. We wanted to help people. We see something strange happening to our colleagues and then to ourselves. And then we go through and figure out how to solve that problem and figure out what it is for ourselves. And then we're like, oh, that's what this is. Let me our helper self, go back and help our colleagues through this other medium. I think that's so cool. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was about how we have power in what we say and how we say it to our patients. And I just wanted to highlight that because it makes me think of a book that absolutely changed my life and how I treated patients when I was still doing patient care called Mind Over Medicine. Had you ever heard of it? Mm-mm. Sounds good though. Yes. So I cannot remember her name to save my life right now, but it's called Mind Over Medicine. And she was a third generation physician. Her uh-huh. grandfather, father, and her practiced Western medicine. And something just wasn't sitting right with her. And she worked with cancer patients and things like that. And she went down this whole rabbit hole around um, cancer and how what we say has the ability to affect the patient's uh, outcomes and all of those things. So exactly what you were talking about. I had already been certified as a life coach at that point in time. So it made so much sense to me what she was saying. And then that's when I really even more so started incorporating my coaching into my practice. And so I totally identify with that part. And that, that is so cool also that you did a whole research study on med student burnout. Because I always said, like, here's the study I want somebody to do because I have no interest nor knowledge in how to do it. But I want somebody to do a study on where have all the old PTs gone? Because like you see old doctors old medical doctors, but you don't see old PTs in hospitals and things like that, lifting these heavy patients and they get heavier all the time. So it's like so fascinating that we have this ability to be curious about things and then go out and study them. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your transition from, okay, this is happening. You did the research project on med student burnout. Then you go become a family doc 
And then what happens? How did you go from, okay, family doc, I've always wanted to be a coach. I finally make the time, scrape up money to go do it. And now I'm in that process. How did you go from that to, I have a coaching program? Right. Well, so actually, I mean, it was very similar to like the me studying the burnout in my, in my classmates. It was, I want to do this for myself, like go through coach certification at the time, you know, I have a part-time job now. I'm like working 20 hours a week at, at, at my job. I had time at that point to dedicate to going to school and like jumping all in and like doing it. What I started thinking to myself was there's like just regular life, right? All the things that happen in life. And then we've also now that counting this year have had three major fires that have come through our um, community. The first big one, the biggest one that impacted us the most was in 2017. And something like a third of Sonoma County physicians lost their homes in those fires. So you mean actual fires, okay. Oh yeah, no, no, not like something bad happened. Like hired, fired, but. Yeah, like natural disaster, thousands and thousands of homes being lost, um, everybody evacuating and fleeing and like people feeling scared. And so that happened in 2017 and then we had another one. And then this year we had another one. So like beyond just the regular background of regular life, we've um, here in our community, personally, we've also had these multiple traumas and you know, everybody processes things differently. But um, so with that as the background, then coronavirus hits, mm-hmm. right? And I was- Don't forget social unrest, don't talk- like Right, that yeah, exactly. First, <laughs> so there's coronavirus, right? And, and so, and that was really, and that was like at the beginning of my um, certification time. And I was thinking, you know what? Like, not only am I a physician within the organization, I'm a family physician, I'm like incredibly experienced in motivational interviewing. I know all this stuff about the data that's been amassing about impact over the years, right? Like, so it's been 12 years since I've been looking at this stuff mm-hmm. and seeing the incredible amount of data now that is being published and seeing that there is even randomized controlled trials on the effect of coaching on physician burnout and well-being, And like, you know, all that stuff is being published over the past several years. And and so now it's like we have this opportunity and I was sitting here thinking like, I've got this skill, I'm within an organization, the people around me, not everybody, right? But like, there are people who are suffering. Absolutely suffering. And, and we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's like all this uncertainty and there's all this, this like sociopolitical climate and like just everything. There's like so much anxiety and there's so much really uncertainty, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in the world right now that I felt I needed to do something. Yeah. You know? And so I got up the courage and like coached myself and, and, and figured out how, <laughs> how I wanted to make a proposal. I'm on the wellbeing committee within my organization. When I first joined a couple of years ago, the committee and also the organization that I work at now, the wellbeing committee was very much the social event planners Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's kind of like, I think about well-being kind of on the same plane as self-care. So yeah. people are like, oh, well-being, oh, self-care, Manny petty yeah. have right. happy hour, and we've done our part. Yeah, yeah. 
So we were doing a lot of that, which is great. And we still do that. But I was trying like, because of my interest in burnout and because of, you know, all this stuff, I was like trying to steer us in a direction of helping the people who really needed help the most. It's taken a couple of years, but we've now like implemented some different programs that have been really working. And so then, you know, in my latest push, I was like, all right, we need a small but effective coaching program. Okay, so I want to pause right there for a second and yeah. notice what you said. You had the idea, you've been studying this for the last 12 years, and when you got up first, got up the courage yeah. to then do it, it still was like a two-year process of steering the ship. And I think a lot of times our colleagues kind of get discouraged. It's a big haul to get the courage in the first place to say, I want to do something different. I see something, I have something that can help. I want to do something different. And in a big organization like that to say, okay, this is what I think we can do. And then if it doesn't work, like right that red hot minute, then they're like, oh, this doesn't work. And then they going back to whatever they were doing before. So I did want to highlight that part um, and acknowledge you for your tenacity of taking the like the two years like it's two years like laying the groundwork i felt like i was preparing everybody for this because you know just jumping into something like that that's a big deal but honestly like in terms of my coaching program the coaching program that we're started that we started that actually happened pretty quickly Mm -hmm. I like that you pointed that out too, because one of the things when I asked you to come on here and talk with me is like, we had this conversation in private and I was like, wait a minute, this is one of those conversations where I think people need to hear it. How we had a very similar trajectory in that it was a full on year. I think it was almost a year to the day. I, I made the suggestion, laying the foundation, talking about stuff. It was a full year before I pitched my coaching program in the organization. So both of us had that situation where it was one to two years of laying the foundation, mentally kind of preparing people <laughs> for the pitch. Okay. And so then you pitched your program. Tell me a little bit about what that process was like. Let me go back to who did you talk to first in saying, I want to do this thing. And did you just casually mention it to them or how, what did that look like? because I'm on the well-being committee, I had a platform or I had an audience already because our chief medical officer happens, is also on the well-being committee. So I knew he was going to be there. I knew that the, um, the person who's in charge of primary care, so like the director of primary care was going to be there because she is also on our well-being committee and um, our CMO is also on the board. Anyway, so I, I knew that the time for me to do my pitch would be at one of our well-being committee meetings. I, I prepared a little spiel that I did, that I, and I just said it orally. I didn't like email them in writing. And, and this, this is what worked for me in my organization, right? There's other people who are right now working on the same sort of thing within their organizations and their organizations are asking for much more concrete, you know, things in writing. Because I, I have, I'm in a multi-specialty private group. Um, there are other people who are working in academic centers and other like much bigger organizations. And they're wanting their people to go through the IRB and like, you know, do all sorts of publishing stuff. It's gonna look different per, for different organizations. But for me, my path was relatively informal, having an oral pitch to my chief medical officer and to the well-being committee to get buy-in and to sort of work out their sort of fears around things. I think the most important thing that I presented in my pitch was 
Everybody knows that this is a problem. Everybody knows that burnout's a problem in healthcare. And like everybody. But the problem is that we don't know how to address it. Like data knows, the data shows all these answers, but, but people in organizations think like, okay, well, if this is a problem, how do we address it? It's, it seems like such a complicated issue. And then, so they're, they're fearful. And then two, even if we know how to do it, how are we going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. Especially in the, in the midst of a pandemic now, like where organizations are already strapped for cash or whatever, um, or they think they are how are we going to pay for it? It's not in our budget or, you know, those are, those are the sort of things that I think we're being presented with. And so knowing ahead of time, the business case for investing in this, Mm -hmm. and actually there's an article that I printed out right here. The business case case for investing in physician well-being. So of course, like a lot of the data is on physicians and a lot, there's a lot of data on nursing anyway. So having that and like having read all of this stuff and having, lots of experience, um, I think helped as well as just like sort of the impassioned plea. People are suffering. Like we have this obligation to do something and the return on investment is actually favorable, right? Yeah. And so I want to parallel my experience with yours because I think people think it's this big mystery of, oh, well, what do I do? And listening to your path was so cool because it was very similar to mine. I went to the rehab director and I believe he actually had to go to the CNO because that's who's over our department. It's a major hospital system. I think at the time there were 11 hospitals in that system. So pretty big, but we were starting here and going with plans to spread out. But mine was very similar to yours, informal conversation initially, but prepared informal conversation, knowing who the key player was, making sure that I was talking to that person. And then like you, I came with a white paper. (laughs) It's not just me and my impassioned plea, but it's also... Like, let me show you some, some evidence from, in my case, I used a white paper from Press Ganey, who was responsible for doing the engagement survey. So I knew that one of the key issues that they were having was poor engagement. And I knew that low engagement and burnout led to major medical incidents, which then affected our scores and then also patient satisfaction, which affected our reimbursement. So, and I'm saying this because this is what I did, but we don't, I don't think that we as healthcare professionals use our business sense to get things that we want done in our organizations. We weren't trained to do that. Not at all. Not at all. So I think this is so important. That's why I'm kind of trying to slow us down and break down the process. Like we're saying what we did, but I also want to kind of help our the listener understand why we did what we did and or if we did it by accident, why it was effective. <laughs> right? Because you got to know, okay, from what you said, you have to go in understanding the fears. You have to understand who the major players are. You have to make your business case. And it, it has to be an impassioned plea. So sometimes you can get by the first round just with an impassioned plea. Mm-hmm. But then it's not going to go by just on the first round. You have to have multi. It's not just going to be like, oh, I'm really passionate about this thing. We know burnout's an issue. No, that might get you to the next meeting. So did you have to have multiple meetings about this? Yeah. And what happened after that? Yeah, because of course, after after that first 
you know, I hadn't prepared them that I was going to do this or that I was going to say this. Right. So, you know, everybody needs to digest it. Everybody needs to sort of like really take it in, you know, because with burnout, at least, and this like moral injury that happens with providers. So coaching is like an individual intervention. And what all this data is showing is that like individual interventions are great and they totally help with preventing burnout and it totally helps with resilience and it totally helps with like all these indicators. But at the same time, you need some sort of structural, like organizational buy-in and intervention or like change um, in order to really address the problem because burnout is not, it's not like I'm defective and therefore I burn out. It's like the healthcare system. What happens next? Let, let me just back up for a second. There was one to two years of laying the foundation. Then yeah. there was this impassioned plea to the key, key player, right? And then what happens? Multiple meetings in order to sort of address the logistical situations. Mm-hmm. How many um, meetings do you think you had before they were like, okay, it's a thing, we're doing this? My program is small. It was easier for them to jump and say, yeah, okay, we'll put some money behind this. I don't know, maybe like three, like not that many. Um, right, but three is more than one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we probably had three. So, okay, so we had two well-being committee meetings, and then our chief medical officer said, okay, Emily, I think this sounds like a really good idea. How about we meet offline confidentially? Tell me, tell me more, and we'll talk about maybe some people that we can identify. Yeah. So it took the two well-being committee meetings and then one, just one-on-one meeting with him. I actually had a total of six, I want to say. When I say mine was probably small too, but like mine was a department within a a huge organization. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's about the same, but it was the first meeting, the second meeting, the one with the white papers, the one with the actual proposal, the one where let me bring in the supervisor and you talk to her about what you're going to do, then how are we going to roll this out? So let me see what kind of emails you might be sending out. Let me look at it first. So I wanted people to understand that like, this is what you just have to deal with. And it might just be a personality thing. Mm-hmm. I would say for me, I, uh-huh. I know, I don't remember the letters, but I know uh, the rehab director at the time, he's uh, one of the S or the C, whichever one that is slow to make decisions, wants a lot of data, that kind of thing. Right. So I knew that going in. So I knew it was going to be a little bit of a process, a little bit more time, and that he would need to see white papers, data, numbers, like, hey, I'm not going to go through the IRB, but this is what we can do to show. We just did an engagement thing. We already know what the starting number is. We'll do another one. Like, I Mm -hmm. went in with that kind of because I knew who I was talking to. And also because even though I'm not a researcher, I know like I want to be able to prove that this works. So I would imagine, and I don't know, like your CMO might be like, okay, let's get her done or the, like the D or the I, they don't need a lot of time and stuff. They just need to feel a sense of like, this is going to work. I think that's true. I think the like trust in the person, the confidence or certainty, mm-hmm. those types of things can really help. And yeah, knowing your audience is one of the most important things. 
It's so funny to me now that I think about it, many people are considering like, how do I get this approved in my organization? Because then I don't have to go on the the hunt, if you will, for my own clients, because then yeah. you have a ready-made base of clients and you can just do your thing as a coach, but you still have to make that initial sell. And true to your point where you're like, it's trusting the person. So sometimes it's just trusting that we were the right person. And I think your CMO and my rehab director trusted us, but they maybe didn't trust or understand coaching itself and how that could help. And so looking at and thinking about, okay, well, what are all the concerns that they might have and how can you help calm them down so that the process can move forward? So if you're able to, Emily, can you share a little bit about what your program look, looks like? Yeah. yeah. So basically, I'm offering coaching services to our providers who are in most need. And that's, that's kind of how, how it is. Um, they're paying me per session, which is great. And we're doing a pilot. I'm collecting pre and post data. So I put together a survey using SurveyMonkey. And I'm using like the Maslach burnout inventory, um, which you, you do have to pay for. I'm using a single question quality of life metric, like zero to 10 thing. And um, like a self-compassion score tool, as well as a like brief resilience tool. The way I, I decided I wanted to do those, because like you guys were using the press gaining, I think that like those types of patient satisfaction scores and like all those types of things like the or organizations can really respond well with those because mm -hmm. uh, that's what they're interested in mm -hmm. um, i picked the ones i picked because those are indicators or outcomes that they have looked at in other studies on physician yes. burnout and coaching and so i wanted to be consistent with that anyway so i developed a pre and a post I mean, I haven't done any posts yet because, because our, our program is relatively new, but anyway, so that's basically what I'm doing. We have a small coaching program that is addressing our providers who are most in need and been great. Mm -hmm. I think for, for me, again, not being a researcher, I pitched the Maslog and he was like, no. How much is that going to cost? Mm -mm. So I chose one that wasn't, that didn't cost and that we could use as a pre and post, but then of course, tying it to engagement because we know if engagement goes right. up, burnout goes down. So that is in the data. So that was one way. And then also I actually created my own burnout quiz. And so I used that pre and post. It was kind of fun. If you think about the pain score, the Wong Baker pain score. I used something similar and we did that. And it was, it was pretty fun creating it. Now, let me ask you this. Did you have any trouble getting physicians to come in for coaching and sign up for sessions? Yes and no. What I found is that either way, so the people who are sort of most at the end of their rope are either in the, like, I'm too overwhelmed. I can't even spend half an hour talking to you or they're in the, I'm at the end of my rope and I like really need help. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's however they're thinking about it. And so what I found is that the, there are those people who are so overwhelmed and stuck that they said, no, I was offering them all of the resources that we have within our organization, not just coaching and coaching was one of them. The, the people who said yes to coaching were the ones who believed first that they needed help and that they were willing to try. And so the ones that were interested in coaching kind of jumped on it 
like right away and we're like, all right, let's do this, you know? And then the ones that weren't, weren't, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So it's, it's interesting, very similar situation. It was some people like, I don't need that. And it would, it would be so funny to me because sometimes I'd be like, I think you're the main one that needs it. Right. <laughs> but who am I to judge, right? <laughs> so I was like, let's, let's bring all the other people up and let them feel happy and good and fulfilled again. And then people started to come along. And so the way I structured mine, because they were not trying to pay for a lot of sessions for everybody in the department, I got approval for everybody to have two by themselves, like a before and after. And then I got approval for, I ended up doing a six month program where it was small group sessions and people could decide based on comfort level and who was there. Like they could see who had signed up and they could choose which ones to go in. Because I think in the beginning, everybody was a little timid, like, well, I'm already having issues and I might be having issues with the person sitting next to me. So do I want to talk about certain things? Mm -hmm. But I think uh, the way I structured it more general and that they didn't have to talk about their own personal stuff if they didn't want to wow. then it just opened people up and then towards the end people were just talking about all the different things and then at the end it was like oh so are we breaking up oh it's so sad so i think it's it's exciting to think about the changes that we can make yeah well like healing our healers that's where it's at the thing that makes me optimistic about, I mean, I'm, I'm like always optimistic. The thing that's making me even more optimistic and um, sort of like welling up, I like get teary-eyed sometimes thinking about it, is that we're like in this process or this time right now where because of the data and because of all this, that there are more and more and more and more coaches in healthcare. And the concept of healing the healers is just so widespread. I think we're really gaining momentum in this. And like, we're not alone. It's not just like you and me. There's all these different other people who are intervening at their own organization or like even at a national level, there are multiple physicians who coach physicians, mm -hmm. but also like people within their own organizations that are trying to start their own programs or help other organizations start coaching programs. And so it feels really good to be a part of this movement. It's like <laughs> tidal wave and we're going <laughs> to, uh, maybe the tidal waves crash. I don't think we're going to crash. We're just going to take over. <laughs> I love it. That was the perfect little bow to our conversation. Thank you so, so much. Dr. Emily Shaw, MD. Thank you so much for being willing to come in and talk and share your steps with us. Yeah, we just need more, more of us to step mm -hmm. up. And I feel like if, if anyone that is listening to this is feeling called to it, I don't, I don't think you have a problem with answering questions. Oh, okay. I certainly don't. We're both now in the Thrive Network for coaches in healthcare. And so just hit us up, tag, like, hey, I'm trying to get, get this approved or what did you use or all of these things. We're, we're happy to answer any questions because we want to help. This Please. is like the perfect time. Oh yeah. This is it. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually, we um, just, some of us started a Facebook group called Coaching for Institutions. Um, but it just kind of grew out of, it just actually like very organically grew out of um, 
a group of us docs who are in or who were in the Lifehood School certification and then specifically had an interest in, in coaching for institutions. And so we like created this group that's been really supportive. And I think um, like together, all of us with these diff- within these different groups can offer a lot of support. For sure. So where can the people reach you? So my email is emilyshawmdcoaching at gmail.com, which is really long, but... <laughs> That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm on Facebook, Emily Shaw, and um, and I have an Instagram. I'm d doctor dr Emily Shaw at doctor dr Emily Shaw. But um, but yeah, and I have a website which is emilyshawmd.com. It's like a lot of my name over and over again. It's okay. We want people to know your name. Yeah, that's where I am. I would love, 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 love to offer any support and like that. I'm like the number one cheerleader for all of this. Oh, okay, really cool. 